You ready for Faith That Shakes, part 35? This is exciting, isn't it? Actually, I'm, uh, I'm going to leave Acts for Pastor. I think I better uh, not delve into that. I, I don't quite have that book mastered the way he does. Doesn't he do a great job? We're blessed. Blessed with a great pastor. Donovan and Valerie do a fantastic job. Um, I tell my family weekly how awesome our messages are. Pastor spends so much time, and he just, maybe I'm the only one, but he reaches right to my heart every week. We're blessed. But actually, this um, topic that I want to talk to you about tonight came to me several months ago. Being uh, placed in this position a few times when God works on you and he gives you something, you write it down and you say, wow, some, one day they're going to call on me and uh, ask me to speak quickly. So you make notes about this. So actually, God spoke to me about this about six months ago, maybe, or more, and I made some notes on it, um, <coughs> which would have been fine, except he really let me live it out a whole lot since then. That wasn't quite as fun, but he must have had a plan about that. So hopefully I can share something tonight that would inspire you and, um, and help you in your walk. So I want to begin tonight... Uh, <coughs> this will, I won't be working in the book of Acts the way Donovan has been, but um, but I think faith that shakes probably will fit my topic tonight because, you know, he's talking about faith with the apostles in the book of Acts and at that period of time and how they shook their world with that faith. But I'm going to refer to some, uh, some stuff that happened in the Old Testament tonight. But you'll see how faith shook those generations back there. And I think as we apply this tonight, we're going to find out how faith is still at work in 2017 and how faith is shaking our lives this week if we allow it to. So this is Faith That Shakes, part 35. But our um, story tonight begins in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, very interesting story here, and I know many of you probably are familiar with this, so I'm sorry if I'm boring some of you, but perhaps there are some that are not so familiar with this and really, really interesting story that I think we can can learn something from. So in Genesis chapter 37, uh, this story actually begins with uh, the patriarchs. Those students of you, you know that that would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at least, and some people expand that a little bit. So um, this talks about Jacob. So chapter 37 verse 1 starts out, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob one of the patriarchs. But then immediately the story shifts from Jacob and it starts talking about Joseph. Joseph was a big part of this story of the patriarch Jacob. So we'll read a good bit here. Uh, notice here when we first begin, Joseph, who we'll focus on for the remainder of our time tonight, was 17 years old. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Imagine that. And could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. 
Then behold, my sheep arose and also stood upright. Indeed, your sheep stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So as I turn the page on my scripture here, um, isn't it interesting? Joseph, um, he had these dreams. Anybody here got a dream? Anybody here waiting on your dream? Well, amazingly, Joseph ran out and told everybody about his dream. I have some dreams I didn't tell people about yet. But Joseph told all of his brothers and his parents about his dream. That didn't make them appreciate him much more. Then his brothers went to feed their flocks in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flocks in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to them, Here I am. Then he said to them, him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding the flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went out after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, I think they remembered that this was the dreamer coming, the one that they were supposedly going to be serving. So when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Didn't take much to provoke them. Then they said one to another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it another one of his brothers, and he delivered him out of their bands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, that cute little jacket that his father gave him, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. Wasn't much for his dreams. And he, the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Joseph said to Ju- Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the many nice traders Passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Okay, this is the, um, this is the guy who was um, the favorite of the patriarch, Jacob. This was his favorite son and the chosen one who had the, the robe. And here he is. He was in the pit. Now he's being sold and taken off to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brother and said, The lad is no more, and where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. 
And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, for I shall go down into the grave mourning my son. Now the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. So <coughs> Joseph was the chosen one. He was the one with the, with the cool jacket. Now here he finds himself disowned by his brothers. He, found, he finds himself in a pit. He was sold for cash, and he was shipped out to another country. Anybody been there before? You see, the, the Bible well tells us uh, we are the apple of God's eye. We are the chosen one. He has plans to prosper us, not to harm us. So we kind of, I, I kind of feel like Joseph sometime. I was, I was the chosen one. I was, I was supposed to have a really cool life, and it was supposed to be well with me. But sometimes I find myself in this same situation that Joseph was in. And I say, where am I? So Joseph, when he went through the pit, then he was taken over to Egypt. Um, he's like, where am I? I was, I was over there in the land of Canaan. I had a bright future. And they were talking about wonderful things. And I had these dreams. I don't see anything that, that came up in my dreams. What am I doing here? And how did I get here? And will I ever be able to get out of here? Is this my fault? Did I do something? Did I mess up somewhere? So <coughs> apparently that's where at least a couple of you have been this week. Maybe you didn't think you were supposed to be in the pit. Maybe you weren't supposed to be in this circumstance. And I know I didn't think I was supposed to be there. Um, and, and I've confessed way back sometime in like December 2016, I found myself in the pit. I found myself disowned by people close to me. And I found myself in a situation pretty similar to this. So what are we to do in a time like this? I propose that it's pretty clear in the scripture. We need to get close to God during these times. It's pretty elementary, but I hope somebody can relate to this and, uh, and, and help me to unpack it and help me to use some of this tonight. I think we're supposed to get close to God during those times. I try to listen a lot during those times. I try to stick to what I know is true. I try to not look at the facts and the circumstances around me, but I try to stay with what I know to be true, what I've seen work. And <coughs> during my <coughs> latest adventure in the pit, I was listening, and I was praying, and I was striving, and I was reviewing my life and reviewing everything about me, trying to figure out, where am I, and how did I get here, and is this my fault, and how can I get out of here? And I heard a song that spoke pretty clearly to me during one of these times, and I want to just share a little bit about that with you. And God uses all kind of different things to talk to me. I suppose he does you as well. But he uses songs to talk to me a lot. Maybe he talks to you in some other way, but you know, I listen to a lot of music. I enjoy music. I used to be a musician, and so... A lot of times I just kind of listen to the beat or maybe I kind of like the rhythm or something like that. All the time I don't listen to the words of the song. My wife and I'm amazed. She just like sing along with the song. Like, I don't know those words. But when I'm down on my face and when I'm in the pit and when I've been disowned, I listen to the words of these songs. And so one came to me. I've been listening to this song for quite a time, but it didn't mean too much to me. It was a really cool tune. They played it a lot on the radio. It's pretty popular. But I started listening to it more. And probably some of you that listen to Caleb know this song pretty well. It's by Lauren Daigle. It's called Trust in You. 
said, letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Anybody feel like you had to let go of your dream? Anybody got family situations and, and you had to let go of some of those? Anybody got some career goals you had to let go of those? Or you got some other dreams? Well, Joseph had these dreams. Here he finds himself in a pit. He finds himself being taken advantage of. So this song says, letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wondering, I feel like I'm wondering, never changes what you see. I try to win this war, I confess. Doing everything I possibly can on my own. I try harder. I focus more. I pray harder. I get up earlier. I do more. It don't ever seem to matter. She's saying, I try to win this war. I confess. My hands are weary. I need your rest. In those times when I was up in my house in the middle of the night, I was weary. I need a rest. I said, God, where are you? Stop beating on me. Just I'm here listening. Just tell me what the answer is. I'm weary. I need your rest. I think Joseph was probably saying that while he was in the pit, while he was on his way over to Egypt, where he was about to be uh, serving some other people that he didn't even know in a country he didn't even know about. No matter what I face, you're by my side. And so then she moves into the chorus. Lauren Daigle says, when you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. These mountains were all in front of me. I'm sitting down here in the valley. I'm praying, God, you can move mountains. You can do amazing things. You've done it for me. I read all about it. Started to see it for others. But just move this mountain. The mountain don't budge. It don't budge at all. Next week, it don't budge at all. And it seems like after a little while, I realized, God don't want to move the mountain right now. He don't want to move it this time. Let me climb over it. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't get part of the waters, I wish you, I, want, I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you. I'm up in my house in the middle of the night crying out to you. I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. That's a pretty simple ending to that song that's pretty dramatic and meant so much to me. But at the end of all that, Lauren Daigle said, I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. So, you know, I think reflecting back on where Joseph was, I think Joseph decided at that time, I had to put my dreams on hold. I went through the pit. Here I am in a foreign land. I don't know where I am or if I'm ever going to get out of here. I believe I am. But I'm going to trust. And so I believe Joseph reached a decision right there and drew a conclusion that I've drawn. And I invite you to draw with us tonight. I believe jo Joseph said right there, God and I own my future. I believe he said, I didn't plan to go through this pit. I didn't plan to be here. I don't know why I'm here or why any of this is happening. But I'm not going to let my brothers take away my dream. I'm not going to let them dictate my future. I and God own my future. As my friend and mentor, former mentor, now deceased, Zig Ziglar said, I have totally, I can't do anything about where I came from totally helpless as to where I was born, as to the family I was born into.
as to where I grew up, as to a lot of those things that happened, I can't do anything about that. I'm totally in charge. Between God and I, we own my future. There's no manager going to dictate my future. Joseph's brothers thought they were going to dictate his future. Potiphar thought they were going to dictate his future. Joseph said, God and I own my future. If we pick this story back up in Genesis chapter 39, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of the master of the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Joseph had a really rough time. He was sold. Here he finds himself in the Potiphar's house. He's going to be a slave. He's in a foreign land now. But all of a sudden, God starts blessing him. God starts moving. His master realized that Joseph was blessed. His master realized that he was blessed. The master was blessed because Joseph was there. Then he made Joseph overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house that all he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So <clears throat> have you experienced this before? Even though you may not think you're winning the battle, even though things might not be perfect, other people look at you and say, wow, God is with him. Your managers are blessed because they are working with you. Projects that you work on are blessed. The other day in my office, um, they were interviewing people, and one of my managers stuck, stuck her head in the door and said, you have to go interview this person. Would you say a prayer? What? you got to say a prayer. Really? Then I closed the door back, and I got back in my office, and I said, God, I've been crying out to you. I've been reaching out. Look, these people know I trust you. Are you going to leave me? Are you going to let me down here when these people know I'm your servant? He said, just trust me. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, in verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on him. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he committed all that he has in my hand. There's no greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you're his wife, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So here Joseph finds himself, wow, he got out of the pit. He made his way back to where he was at least um, free. He was working for Potiphar. Now he's in charge of Potiphar's house, and now things are going a lot better for him. So Joseph, um, he says to himself, well, things are a lot better now. I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing better. Will I stay right here? This is pretty good. Joseph, um, he said, no, I don't want to stop here. I had those dreams, and, you know, I'm tempted right here. Somebody's trying to get in my way again, but I had these dreams. And God and I own my future. I'm going to continue to focus. I'm going to continue to move ahead. So it was as he spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not, uh, as she as she spoke to Joseph, that he did not heed her to lie with him or to be with her. But it happened, and you all know most of this part of the story. When Joseph went into the house, uh, none of the men in the house was inside. She called him by his garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and ran and fled outside. So it was called 
when she saw that he had uh, done that, she told them that Joseph grabbed her uh, garment and she fleed. Joseph would not be distracted by his brothers. He would not be distracted by the pit. He would not be distracted by this. So Potiphar's wife, she kept his garments until the master came home. Then she told uh, this Hebrew servant, she told her husband, this Hebrew servant came in uh, to mock me. So what happened? I lifted my voice and cried out. He left his garment. He fled outside. So when the master heard what Joseph had done, <coughs> from his wife, your servant did to me after this manner that the anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. Into the prison. Wow, that's unfamiliar. Here Joseph is going back to prison again, where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. So scene two in Joseph's life. He went, talked to his brothers. He went through the pit. He made his way out. He climbed back up the ladder. He was in charge of Potiphar's house. He was running the, the house and, and all that Potiphar had there. Now he finds himself right back in the pit again. Does this sound familiar? You have the circumstance. It comes back again. But I'm starting to, to pick up on a pattern right here. Perhaps prison, perhaps the pit is the vehicle to Joseph's next opportunity. Notice when he went through the pit, he came out in charge of Potiphar's house, and he was so successful uh, in, the, in the land where he went. Now he's going back to prison. Well, again, Joseph, what, what's he going to do? Is he going to give up? Is he going to say, well, okay, I believe Potiphar's wife just uh, derailed my career. I think this is probably over. Uh, I give up on my dreams. I don't think so. What was Joseph's motto? God and I own my future. I'm going to draw from this. Another one of those songs that came to me when I was going through that. I'm hoping that there was something that Joseph was picking up along the way that gave him the faith to keep moving on. Apparently it was. He was firm in that commitment. And I'm just challenging you. When you go through those circumstances, whatever it is, if you're dealing with a relationship issue, if you deal with family issues, if you got health issues, if you got career issues, whatever, you, if you got financial issues, if you have issues from the flood, whatever it is, it's going to distract you if you stick with this plan. God and I own my future. These things couldn't distract Joseph. They will not be able to distract you. This other song that came to me that was so powerful, so powerful, Hillary Scott. For those of you that listen to Caleb, you will know this one as well. Thy will be done. The first verse on this song is, is critical. It makes me stop and listen to it over and over again. I'm so confused. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through. Somehow I ended up here. That's the conversation I was having with God. I'm saying, God, I prayed about this. I told you I'd go anywhere. I told you I would do anything. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to be doing, I'm there. This is where you led me. Here I am. Somehow I ended up here. I don't want to think, I may never understand, that my broken heart is a part of your plan. I was asking God, please stop beating on me. Give me a break. You know, is this really a part of your plan? I, you, I know. I wonder if Joseph was asking that along the way. But when I try to pray, all I've got is hurt in these four words. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. 
The next verse of this song says, I know you're good, but this don't feel good right now. I think Joseph was saying that while he was going through these circumstances. When he was in prison for the second time, he was probably saying that, God, yeah, I know you're good, but this don't feel good right now. And I know you think of things that I could never think about, but it's hard to count this all joy right now. It's really hard to count this all joy. But nonetheless, thy will be done. I will trust in you. God and I own my future. I'm going to continue to move forward. So hastening along, I don't want to keep you too long tonight. Uh, in, in chapter 40, this did not stop for Joseph. Joseph then found himself in the prison. And I won't read <coughs> every bit of this. In verse uh, chapter 40, Joseph finds himself after um, his Potiphar's wife made those uh, accusations against him, um, he was put back in prison. So he found himself there with Joseph's cupbearer and his baker. And some of you know this story, but without going into take time to read every bit of this, the short of it is the cupbearer said, I had this dream. So they're all in prison together. Potiphar got mad at every one of them. He had the, the cupbearer, the baker, and Joseph, who was in charge of his entire house. He had them all in prison. And so maybe sometimes when I'm in prison, I just feel like I'm totally out of place. Why am I here? God specifically put all those people in prison together for a purpose. Joseph was aware enough. He was alert enough to realize that. And so when the cupbearer came to him and he said, wow, I had a dream. I don't really understand this. And he related his his uh, dream to Joseph. And then the baker said, wow, I had a dream too. I don't understand what this means. And Joseph interpreted those dreams. And he told the cupbearer, your dream means that shortly you're going to be replaced and put back in your place in your position in the kingdom and start to rule and start to bear the cup for Joseph again. And he told the baker, the baker rushed up in and said, oh, please, please, please interpret my dream too. And he said, okay. And he said, you're not going to be restored, and you're not going to bake for Potiphar anymore. As a matter of fact, in three days, you're going to die. They're going to hang you. In three days, Potiphar came down, and he told his cupbearer, okay, come on back up and bear my cup again, just like Joseph had said. And Joseph told the cupbearer while he was down in prison, he said, this is going to happen. And he said, when it happens, don't forget about me down here in prison. Remember me. So he went back up to be with Potiphar. And the baker, three days later, they hanged him and he died, just like Joseph had said. Joseph was in a really bad place. He didn't know why he was there. He didn't know what his purpose was. But he knew, God called me to do this. Whatever he's asking me to do, I'm going to do it. He did his job. Here he finds himself again. So We move to chapter 24. I'm hastening really now. I'm sorry to, to keep you long tonight. In chapter 41, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. So short of it is, after Joseph interpreted these dreams and the cupbearer went back up and the baker was killed, it was two full years that Joseph was down in the prison and the cupbearer was still up bearing the cup. And the cupbearer didn't think about Joseph and didn't come back to rescue him for two years. My time down there on my face wasn't quite that long. It seemed like it was about two years. Does yours seem like that sometime? 
But Joseph just kept doing what he was doing. He said, I own my future. God and I, these people are not going to distract me. So at the end of two full years, finally, <coughs> finally the cupbearer remembered. Because Potiphar had a dream, and he needed it to be interpreted. And so Pharaoh had the dream. So they called the, the cupbearer said, oh, I remember way back there two years ago, Joseph interpreted the dream, and he told me not to forget him, and I forgot him, but he can interpret that dream. So some of you know, most of you know the rest of the story. I'm not going to go into all this. We're going to go ahead and, and, and stop here. But short of it is, Joseph went up there, and he interpreted Joseph, uh, the Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh put him in charge of his entire kingdom. And so at this end of this chapter right here, uh, Chapter 41 and verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So remember, Joseph started out at 17 years old. He spent a lot of time in the pit, a lot of time in prison, and <coughs> a lot of time in really bad circumstances. But here it is at age 30. Joseph is finally given the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and Joseph, uh, Pharaoh puts him in charge of his entire house. I would just encourage you tonight, uh, why don't our musicians come on up? We're going to, why don't you stand and let's come around the front. Um, I want us to, to have a prayer and a little bit of worship closing out here. But I would just ask you to please reflect on, uh, you know, I, I hope you're not like me. I hope you don't struggle like this. Uh, maybe it's only those couple of folks I talked to tonight that have these issues and the rest of you are on cloud nine and you don't feel like this but unfortunately I think that's probably not the case so I'm sorry you know I, I would love to preach those shouting sermons the way Donovan does unfortunately God just didn't give me shouting sermons yet <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to do that but this verse this these chapters mean a lot to me I just trust I, you know I talk to a lot of you some of you uh, listen when I talk to you and I share my burdens and you pray with me some of you confide in me the things that you're dealing with, and I pray with you. And I just challenge you tonight. Go home and read some of these chapters right here. And remember this verse right here, God and I own my future. So I'm not going to let my boss at work dictate my future. I'm not going to let my neighbor dictate my future. I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to let my wife dictate my future. God and I own my future. As long as I hold to that promise, as long as I hold to what God has given me, there's nobody going to distract me or turn me from my future. If you had a dream and your boss caused you to forget about that dream and he told you that dream wasn't really for you, don't listen to him. If somebody in your family told you that was really good, I'm so glad you had that idea, but I'm, you know, I'm older, I'm smarter, I have more experience than you, I don't really think that dream was for you, maybe you just had too much pizza that night, don't listen to them. If God gave you that dream, that's your dream. <coughs> Hold on to that dream. I want to close with just one little personal uh, experience I had. This may not mean anything to you, but if there's one person that can draw something from it, okay. So this dramatic story occurred at Chuck E. Cheese this past weekend. My grandchildren, we were spending some time with them on Saturday, and uh, I see some guys laughing over here. They must like Chuck E. Cheese. But we uh, wanted to spend some time with the grandchildren, so we picked them up, and we said, 
oh, let's go play. We got a few hours, so let's go do some things. I was hoping we were going to choose that. I think it was it's my party place or something where they have those big blow-ups and you can slide and jump and bounce and do all that kind of stuff. It's a cool place. Uh, they don't want to do that. They scream as loud as they could. The twins, four and Carter, they all say, Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese. They're hurting our ears, so where do we go? Chuck E. Cheese. So we wind up at Chuck E. Cheese, but to hasten and not waste more of your time here. They go play all these games. They run around. We can't keep up with them, the whole deal. But and, and they just love playing these games. They just put the money in there. They don't even watch what's going on. They see if anything comes out, and they keep running around. If they go ride something, they literally put the money in there, let it go, and jump on it and get off while it's still going and go to the next one. So I'm going around, and, and my, my seven-year-old grandson, he's playing a game. And so I'm just kind of watching him. I'm going over there, just kind of, I don't understand many of these games. So I'm watching this game, and I see all this stuff flying around. It, I did notice that it said, you have one more shot. <coughs> so I'm watching, I'm kind of glancing around, not paying full attention. And so Carter turns around to me and says, Pop, Pop, can you take this shot from me? I'm still not paying very close attention. And so I jumped down there, and I got on this. He said, shoot this apple. And so I thought it was one of those kind of games. You know, sometimes they give me a play where they got like a million unlimited shots, and you just like all over forever. I thought that's what it was. So I just grabbed the thing and just took a quick shot, and I missed the apple. And I realized that was the end of the game. It was over. We didn't score. And so then I realized what that stuff was. You know, I saw it a little while ago. It said one shot. And then I realized, oh, my God. Aunt Pop Pop, you just took the shot and you you missed, and I was I was pretty upset about that. And fortunately, Carter didn't hold that against me too well. But uh, I started thinking back one time when Brendan was very young. We were at Disney World, I believe, and we were shooting the basketball, and he was he was really young then. Uh, but he told me it seemed like he must have thought for some reason I had the hot hand that day with the basketball, so he wanted me to shoot to try to win him the deal. And amazingly. I won. I put the basket in, and I won. And we we got the real NBA, but with some kind of basketball. And we, I'm sure we still have it somewhere, but the real basketball, we won it, and we brought it home. And I'm remembering that, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, Carter, he trusted me. He had been playing all these games all hours. He'd been doing everything, but he had one shot left, and he asked Pop Pop to take it. Before we left Chuck E. Cheese, I went to do a lot of other special stuff for him. I was, like, trying to buy stuff, and my wife's like, let's go with you. They don't need all that. They're doing so much that. No, I said, he does need that. I made sure I went to buy him a special cup that had a token on it and that we won 40 extra tokens from that, from that little sticker on the cup. And before we left, they wanted cotton candy. We bought that, too. So that was a, that was a funny story. But since that time, I've been thinking a lot about Carter. And I've been thinking about that story. And, you know, what came to me, I said, guess what? And, and, and I learned so much about the way God treats us by being a parent and by being a grandparent. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm working on this right here, I'm thinking, you know, Joseph, when he was in the pit, when he was in prison, me, way back in December 2016, I thought I had one last shot. You've been in that place before when you think the game comes down pretty close and you say, you got one more shot. Well, that's the time when most of us really get serious and turn it over to God. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God doesn't mind that. If you don't pay full attention all the time, when, when it does, you know, Carter, he don't even pay attention. He don't even know I'm in the building as long as he's flying all over. The only time he realized I was there was when he told him he had one shot left. 
sometimes we're kind of like that with God. And when we come down to the end, we say, God, I tried. That's what, that's what this song says. That's what Joseph is saying. I tried everything I can. I confess it didn't make any difference. I'm just here to tell you tonight. I'm sorry to keep you so long, but when you have tried everything you can do, when you are worn out, when you need rest, when you have one shot left, God doesn't mind you turning that over to him. You know, I just realized since then, when I when, when Carter turned that one shot over to me, that's just, I love this boy. I'd do anything for him. But I, I have to confess, I'm more focused on Carter after that and, and for the next couple of days than I've been in a long time. I'm really concerned about Carter since then. I just know God's sitting up there. He's saying, Anthony, you know, I put you in some pits. I had you in some bad situations, and you were calling out to me. You said I was your last hope, and you were wondering if I was even going to come through. You thought I had missed the apple. But I'm just telling you, I didn't miss the apple. That same affection you have for Carter, no matter what it takes, even though your wife said it's time to go, even though she said we need to get out of here, we're, we're falling down, we're doing what, I don't care. I'm going to do, I'm, so I think God was telling me, Anthony, I heard you when you were in your house calling out, and you had one last shot, and you gave me that shot. I was over there that day, Anthony. Remember when you had the door closed and you laid down flat in your office and you put your hands in your face and you said, God, please stop beating on me. Help me. I remember that. When I prepared this sermon, I didn't know it. But I came home today. I've been in some kind of difficult times lately. Came home, my wife and I, she's kind enough to listen to me and talk to me. I told her today, as bad as that was, as good as it is now. God's moving and doing things. I can't even imagine. I don't know where they're coming from. I'm just here to tell you tonight. I'm going to be quiet and let Wesley and the, and the folks sing here. But I'm just telling you, if there is anybody here who thinks you got only one shot left, if really it's been like a, a brass ceiling up there and your prayers just won't get out of the building, you just can't, you just don't know why God won't listen. God and I own my future. I'm just telling you, you and God own your future. No flood, no circumstances, no family, nothing can take away your future as long as you give it to God and trust him.